Hi, this is Guardian Australia Reads. I'm Jane Lee. Every week, we ask Guardian Australia's editors what their favourite articles are, and then we read them aloud for you. As the Taliban takes back power in Afghanistan, what does the future hold for the young people who once hoped to be the country's future leaders? Today, we meet one man who was asked to make an impossible choice. Shelley Hepworth is the assistant news editor at Guardian Australia. Shelley, this is a gripping personal story. Tell me why this one resonates with you. So the story of what's happened in Afghanistan over the last few months with the resurgence of the Taliban and the fall of Kabul has been such a big story to sort of get your head around. But having a real window into one person's story helps you understand it in a way that you can't when you're just hearing numbers and sort of data in this general way. And I think it's important to know that story because it's important for all of us to understand what the consequences were. So another thing I'd like to mention is that uh, Ben Doherty, the reporter on the story, has been covering asylum seekers to Australia for years and he gives us this really rich context of that journey. And he's obviously built a really strong rapport with Zaman and that's how he's able to tell Zaman's story in this really beautiful way, even though it's a harrowing experience that Zaman's had. Let's hear it. This is They Will Kill You, a future leader of Afghanistan on the price he paid for freedom by Ben Doherty. On an August morning... Muhammad Zaman Kadimi walked out of class and into a world entirely changed. I heard the news that the Taliban were coming, he says. They had captured Herat and Lashkagar, and they would come to Kabul. Nothing would stop them. Everything changed, and I knew I would be vulnerable. Within 48 hours, the Islamist group would seize control of Kabul and sit in the presidential palace. The Taliban would be the government. For Kadimi, a 28-year-old Hazara man with a scholarship to a foreign university in his pocket and an Australian visa in his passport, his city was no longer safe. It would take days, immense risk and a significant slice of luck. But Kadimi found a way into the sanctuary of Kabul's surrounded airport. He endured whippings, beatings, and threats from the Taliban to make it. But he was also forced to make an impossible choice. He let plane after plane depart Kabul, waiting for his wife as she tried to breach the chaos and violence of the airport's perimeter walls. Of all in his family, Kadimi was the first to go to school, to university, to travel abroad to study. Neither of his parents ever attended a classroom, nor learned to read or write. But hoping their children's lives could be different, they uprooted their family from the ancestral district of Waris, a Hazara homeland in central Bamiyan province, for Kabul when Kadimi was ready to begin school. It was the late 90s and the Taliban were fiercely ascendant in the capital. Kadimi remembers the first Talib he ever saw. They were very harsh, very violent. They would spit at the people, and everybody was frightened. We knew to be afraid of these people. It was like they were not human. The adjustment was dramatic. 
From a mountainous rural village to a hard scrabble city of more than two million people. But school was a sanctuary. Kadimi was bright. And his success was celebrated and encouraged. On regular visits home to his village, Kadimi's relatives would marvel at his marks and progress. Even reaching ninth class was something no one had done before. My father was very keen that I should be educated so I could serve our people, because our people, the Hazara, were not given those rights that they deserve. I was very lucky to have that chance, because in previous generations, Hazara never had that. They were not even able to go to school. In the National University entrance exams, Kadimi earned some of the highest marks in the country. He was awarded a scholarship to study at Pune University in Maharashtra, in India. On graduating with a degree in business administration, he returned to Afghanistan and took up a position with the country's Chamber of Commerce and later the government's Ministry of Finance, working in sustainable development. A prestigious Chevening scholarship from the British government took him to the University of Leeds and a master in international business degree. He was invited to address international conferences in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Germany. He spoke at the UN conference on climate change and appeared on panels with Bill Gates. With the banishment of the Taliban between 2001 and this year, all of this was possible in democratic Afghanistan. Coalition control of much of the country meant access to education became almost universalized. Kadimi saw his government position as a way to develop his country's economy and empower its people particularly its multitude of ethnic and religious minorities. He says, since 2000 and 2010, a lot of Hazaras have been educated. They have gone to school and to university. Their economic opportunities have increased. They have taken up positions in the government and started to develop their positions in Afghanistan. Recognized as a future leader, Kadimi was awarded another scholarship to study for a Master of International and Development Economics at the Australian National University. He secured a visa to travel, but then found himself unable to get to Australia because of COVID restrictions. With classes online, he enrolled and began his studies. He also kept his job at the Ministry of Finance. With Canberra five and a half hours ahead of Kabul, Kadimi would wake at 4 a.m. for his online classes and a full day of studying before heading off to work. But... Afghanistan's peace and progress was always fragile. For months, in 2021, Kadimi watched the resurgence of the Taliban, counting off the days until the hard August deadline for foreign troops to withdraw. The seizure of swathes of Afghanistan's vast rural interior was expected. Fu saw the desultory capitulation of Kabul coming. Kadimi says, I was completely shocked by the takeover. I said to my relatives Kabul would never be taken by the Taliban. We have an army support from international troops. We thought those forces would not give up the last two decades and be silent and abandon us alone. But that is what happened. The end was startlingly swift. Kadimi's new government contract, freshly signed by the deputy minister, the day before the Taliban takeover, was left sitting on a desk in the ministry. My documentation is in the hands of the Taliban now. 
my CV, everything about me. On Friday, 13th August, Kadimi walked out of a Zoom class and onto the streets of Kabul, electric with the news. The Taliban were coming. The militants were already on the capital's outskirts. Once improbable, their ascension now seemed irrepressible. Suddenly, the qualifications Kadimi held were no longer laurels but liabilities. Testimonies from foreign institutions were evidence he was a traitor or spy. His Australian University scholarship demonstration he was still in league with the enemy. Compounding that was his service to a soon-to-be-fallen government, a foreign visa in his passport, his Azara ethnicity and Shia faith, his country was, or would soon be, no longer safe. By that Sunday, those fears were realized. Afghanistan's president fled the country. Its police and army, symbols of state power, melted away before the advancing militia. Kadimi watched as the Taliban consolidated control. Checkpoints sprung up across the city, its guards violent and unpredictable in their unfamiliar authority. His mother urged him to leave. She told him, You cannot stay, Zaman. The Taliban has come. They will kill you. With the window of escape rapidly closing, Kadimi made contact with staff at ANU and others in Australia who might be able to help. When the word came through that the Australian government wanted its citizens and visa holders to go to the airport, Kadimi packed up his life and went. He carried almost nothing. Beyond his documents, he had only the clothes, an old Pirahan Tunban on his back. There were few chances for goodbyes. He did not know when, if ever, he would be back. The scene on Kabul's airport road was already chaos. Taliban checkpoints became anarchic bottlenecks as thousands surged towards the airport seeking any seat on any flight out of the country. The Taliban fired indiscriminately to push back the crowds. Kadimi stayed, head down, seeking his way forward. He spent a full day trying to gain entry through the airport's fortified gates. It was the first time I had been out of my house because I was in hiding. At the main gate, I showed to the Taliban my passport, my visa, and said, I am going to Australia. They pushed me away. One of the Taliban beat me a lot with a cable. He hit me over and over again. It was very painful. But the fear was so much more. After more than 15 hours at the airport's gates, Kadimi retreated to his uncle's house nearby. He returned at 4 a.m. the next day. This time, he was able to make phone contact with the Australian evacuation team on the ground in Kabul. He saw soldiers with Australian flags on their arms, but still, he wasn't able to breach the divide. He stayed at the front, desperate to catch an accommodating eye. Finally, after more than four hours in the crush, a soldier spotted him and hurriedly waved him forward. He was rushed into the uncrowded sanctuary of Kabul airport. 
I felt hugely relieved, he says, exhaling deeply at the memory. I never expected that I would be rescued from the Taliban. It felt like I was in a different world, like I was out of Afghanistan already and I was safe. Kadimi was quickly processed by the Australian authorities, but he told them he wasn't ready yet. He had not been able to bring his wife to the airport. She did not hold an Australian visa. Australian officials told him to ask her to come to the airport so she could apply for one on the spot. It was a 50-50 chance. Kadimi's brother brought his wife to the airport's gates, but the Taliban drove them back time and time again. Kadimi cancelled his seat on the next flight out, and the next, saying he would take his final chance on a flight the next morning. In the early morning, she came back to the airport again, but still she could not get inside. The crowd was too many. The Taliban were firing. It was not safe. Kadimi faced the agonizing decision to leave his homeland to save his life. But without his wife? She insisted he go. She was encouraging me to go, pushing me to get on the plane. But she was crying also at the time. The separation the uncertainty about what will happen? We do not know when we'll be able to see each other again. An Australian official kindly urged Kadimi to board the flight, telling him the security situation at the airport was deteriorating by the hour. He was told, this might be the last chance. Don't miss this opportunity. When I put my foot on the Australian Air Force plane, I was crying. I was crying because I never expected to see Kabul in this situation. I was seeing a very dark future for my country, for my friends and my family and my people. It was the hardest moment of my life. From the incongruous quiet of his new life in Australia, Kadimi worries constantly for his wife and family. He has spoken with migration agents and written to the Australian government, pleading that they might be reunited. I worry about her all the time. My whole family, I worry. They are vulnerable too. My wife has been working for girls' education, which the Taliban opposes. But also because of my involvement with international universities, with education, my family will be punished. Because of me. I could not forgive myself if something happens to them. More broadly, he worries for the future of his country. The free Afghanistan he had dedicated his burgeoning career to build appears on the precipice of annihilation at the hands of a regressive and terrorist force. There are thousands like him, Afghanistan's best and brightest, future leaders and forces for freedom who have been forced to flee. Many of the educated people have fled the country because of the Taliban. How will our country progress? I fear for the future. After all we have been through, I only see darkness for our people. That was They Will Kill You, a future leader of Afghanistan on the price he paid for freedom by Ben Doherty. The reader was Shaka Cook. To read the article, go to the Guardian Australia website. This episode was produced by Sophia Tariq, Alison Chan and Camilla Hannan. I'm Jane Lee. See you next time.